that was a real indicator to me. Okay, I'm on to something here. They're willing to create this content for free with the carrot or incentive that they will eventually get paid for it. I remember I was sitting at a wine bar with my sister in Soho and I got an email from one of the influencers that I really wanted to work with that was a perfect fit. And she was like, I totally love it. I'm in, tell me next steps, like how to apply. And I remember being like, oh my gosh, this thing's gonna work. And I was so excited. That was a high moment of, okay, there's something that's gonna work here. This is amazing. I had reached out actually to both of you separately. Um, it turns out you're both working on the same thing. But I'm so excited to hear about what you're doing. First, it's so great to have you both on the podcast. For the audience here, I would love to get an introduction to both of you. Yeah, I can go first. I am Natasha Hoskins. I am the founder of All Call. And we launched originally in December of 2019. So a few years ago now. And then my co-founder is Dina. I'm Dina Burke. I'm the co-founder. My background is in um, marketing. I had a marketing agency that I ran for a few years. It was acquired by Indiegogo, which is where all three of us met. Worked there for a little bit. Natasha was itching to start her travel thing. And I had become an advisor at that point. And I left to do my own startup and then was an advisor the whole way through. And then when I was winding my first startup down, I joined Natasha full-time and that was March, 2020. We've been on this ride together since March, which was really interesting timing for a travel startup. Yeah, we want to hear about how you got through that. March, 2020 was basically the start of this whole global pandemic. Sure was. Using the norms around work culture and different industries and such. So we definitely want to dig into that. But just in terms of the business that you're working on today, tell us a little about it. I can give you a snapshot. So All Call is a members club for the modern traveler. So we provide planning for amazing travel that's really powered by our community of guides who provide us amazing recommendations around the world. Originally started as a marketplace for curated itineraries. So really asking the question of how do people more passively monetize their travel recommendations and how do you get great people around the world to be able to share those recommendations with travelers who really want an insider experience. Over the, the course of the past year and a half, two years, that has really evolved into realizing that travelers want something that's curated and amazing, but also personalized to them in some way. A lot of that has come out of COVID realizations and insights on our consumer that happened during the course of the pandemic. And so it's been interesting to see how trends have changed and needs of our consumers have changed. It's been really fun. And there's been a lot of learning along the way around as any startup, what our customers want and need out of a travel product. Very cool. I think that traveling is something that's becoming top of mind for people again as restrictions are being lifted. So I'd love to dive a little bit more into how All Call is dealing in that space. But before we dive into that, I'd love to start with both of your stories. We all worked at Indiegogo together and you all probably have different experiences at different companies as well, but we were all working at these larger companies before. So what drove both of you to decide to leave and build All Call? Working at Indiegogo it was so much a culture of entrepreneurship. The platform was designed to help facilitate products and dreams of entrepreneurs around the world. And I had another startup, but that was services. It wasn't exactly the same thing. I think it was really being at Indiegogo and being in and out of every day, people who had pursued their passion. There was evidence of it, right? They had campaigns and there was products and there were shipping products. I think it was really seeing that and being in and around that every day that for me made it really come to life as something that I could pursue as well. I think it's like, as you mentioned, the myth of the founder and the, the startup tech founder 
we all know that story. It feels really unreachable in many ways. And the, the process of it seems really opaque. But I really think it, it was just being an Indiegogo that was like, oh, no, there's actually a path. I can see it. I see all these people who are like me that are doing it. And that was really inspiring. I, think. I would definitely say the same thing. Just having that day in and day out interaction with entrepreneurs took many different shapes and forms and different types of people from all over the world pursuing their passion and what they were excited about. And for me, when I joined Indiegogo, I was uh, the second employee on the in-demand aspect of business. Those who don't know, in-demand was basically like the post-campaign business that launched at Indiegogo. And it felt like it was my boss and myself working in this smaller startup in the safety net of a much larger startup of Indiegogo and having the experience of really iterating and learning about a product and talking to customers every single day about that product, the passion for having something and seeing it sort of begin as this little thing and then grow into a, a much larger, more meaningful business was so contagious. And that combined with hearing these stories of entrepreneurship and seeing how people um, solve a problem and then found a way to solve it in some capacity was so inspiring. And it was just undeniable. That's what I wanted to do. And that's actually the job I wanted is seeing those people all day long. I think that's really exciting to be surrounded by that entrepreneurial spirit especially as we saw at Indiegogo. And for the viewers who don't necessarily have that access to founders or have that contagious entrepreneurial spirit, where should they go for inspiration? Did you also reference things like books? Did you have mentors? Or what else drove you to make that leap and decide, hey, yeah. I to try my own thing? That's why I love your podcast. This is such a great way for people to get exposure to what what the day in and day out looks like of an entrepreneur, having more context for the many shapes and forms that it takes in different people, and also the realities of what pursuing a, a career like this looks like and really going in eyes wide open about uh, the sacrifices that you're making and like the wins and losses that you'll probably have, I think is really important to like expose yourself to that. And the, the reason Adina and I like connected is because I, I heard she was leaving to start her own thing. And I was like, wonder how she's doing this. I want to do this too. This is like on my roadmap in the next few months. And just like shot her an email. We were working in the same office, but we, we didn't work together and we weren't close at the time. And then we went and got coffee and that was the beginning of a beautiful friendship and great working relationship. So much came out of just that little, I think it was actually Slack saying, hey, would you want to grab coffee? So I think just like shooting your shot as much as you possibly can with people who you are inspired by or you think have some wisdom to share along the way, I think is really important and, and will do so much for your career and, and your entrepreneurial journey. That's really cool that you were able to get in touch with someone you've worked with in the past and build a connection there, but also find you had similar visions and, and paths in mind. And I think this is a question that a lot of people who are thinking about starting a company, which is, should I do this solo? Should I start this by myself? But you always see these stories of people having co-founders, whether they're a technical person with a non-technical person paired together. But for you two, how did you think about that pairing of skills? And how did you know that it was a good fit for each other? First of all, I don't want to dissuade anyone who's thinking of starting an entrepreneur journey for themselves, what I'm about to say. But <laughs> what I do truly believe is that for myself and for Natasha, is that going in alone and being a solo founder, we both have done that um, and it was really hard. The partnership for us has been a really important part of the whole journey and frankly, like why we're still here and why the business is, is still exists because it's very hard to join your own. Some people are good at it and some people love it. For us, it just, we really need that back and forth to be able to really thrive. And the one thing I would add is when I was starting, there were so many conversations with great advisors and investors who really encouraged me to find a co-founder. And I couldn't 
hear that feedback because I was just like, I have to get started. And I do think that was the right call to just get started for both of us on, on the things that we were passionate about. But as I got into it, you start to think about what are complementary strengths and what is someone that, that's going to bring something different to the table to me. And like, that is so much of what you read and hear about, like, okay, as you're looking for a co-founder. But for me, really what I realized and the experience that I've had is that so much of starting a business is a really emotionally taxing journey. You care so much about this thing. It really does live and die by you. Dean and I talk about all the time how it feels like you're pushing a boulder up a hill. And if you sit down for a second, that boulder just comes tumbling down the hill and you just have to start back up again. And, and that is a really heavy experience of being a founder. And so having someone else to give you fresh eyes to the work that you're doing or to the feeling that you're having about the, the work or a problem that you're trying to solve has been an absolute game changer for my day-to-day -day job and keeping me going every single day to say, okay, this is possible. This is not that big of a deal or this is a big deal and this is how we're going to solve it. And that experience and that chemistry and connection with someone, I think is so much more powerful than just, oh, I'm good at marketing and this person is good at sales. I think to add to that, on paper, we're not good co-founders because we have very similar skill sets. <laughs> We're um, both not technical. We both are like marketing. Like we're just, we're not great co-founders on paper, but it works. So I guess that's also just a nod to the rules that seem to be there around founders, founder teams isn't gospel. So totally. I, I love that. That's actually really unconventional wisdom where if, like right now, if you look up like, hey, how do I find a co-founder? You even see entire platforms asking you to fill out your profile and having them match you to someone with almost the opposite skill sense, if you will. And I think what you bring about actually is really important because one of the common stories we hear amongst founders is just the lack of fit in being able to work together. If you cannot make that work, then the matching of skills thing, I think is in some ways less important. I think there's totally. also a case to be made in some ways, like skills can be learned or can be hired for, and you can bring in people smarter than you at some of the weaknesses or things that you're gapped in. I, I love that insight. And I think that's something that viewers will really learn a lot from as well. So we talked a little bit about meeting um, your co-founder and getting all that started. Another common question is, okay, now you've got your business together. How do you get your first customer? What was that process like for you? Originally, Alcohol started as this marketplace. The idea being on one side, you have guides who are cool kids, basically tastemakers, influencers, people with great taste, cities, destinations around the world. They apply to become guides on Alcohol. Once they're approved, they can put itineraries together on our platform and then sell them to travelers looking for an insider experience. So that's like the context of the original product on Alcohol. So for me, the very first customer, even though they're a paying customer, is getting that guide, getting someone who can it's a classic like marketplace issue like supply demand like how do you get both at the same time before we launch we're like okay let's put a dream list together 50 people who we feel like really fit our brand who really have a good sense of the type of customer and the audience that we're trying to get after and just cold out reach those people or look through our connections of instagram followers and linkedin to see how we can get a hold of these people and tell them about what we're doing so that was really the start for me is just finding people within my network who had connections to who, people who would become great guides for Alcohol and really become ambassadors for the brand. And my first inkling of like some sort of fit within the market was that as I started to talk to these guides um, and these different content creators, they totally got what I was trying to do. And that was a real indicator to me, okay, I'm onto something here. They want 
to create this content. They're willing to create this content for free with the carrot or incentive that they will eventually get paid for it. And so that was really an exciting moment. I remember I was sitting at a wine bar with my sister in Soho and I got an email from one of the influencers that I really wanted to work with. That was a perfect fit. And she was like, I totally love it. I'm in. Tell me next steps, like how to apply. And I remember being like, oh my gosh, this thing's going to work. And I was so excited. Like that was like a high moment of just, okay, there's something that's going to work here. I, I, I think just to expand on that. So that's where Oracle started and it launched December of 2019. Obviously March, everything changed. The whole world changed. And in the travel industry in particular, bookings went down 97%, 98% year on year. So it was a devastating year for our industry and many others. So in terms of that first customer and what they wanted and the value that they got out of the product that Natasha built at first really evolved. It doesn't look totally different than what was first created and the product that was first built and the value that was gleaned from that first experience, but it is different. Travelers now need and want different things. And in order for us, frankly, to survive as a startup over the past year and change, we had to do lots of little medium and big pivots in order to be able to to stay in the game. A lot of our competitors didn't and had to shut down, which was not surprising. I, I think that's something really interesting because it's a situation that's really unique to each individual business. How do you pivot your focus or how do you add use cases or how do you make that decision on what to do there? I, I'd love to hear how you both thought about that. I think a lot of entrepreneurs, both just as we see large companies in the media, but especially small businesses, the mandate to consider that question is even greater. So how did you think about that? I'd say it's been very iterative. Just even if we're talking nuts and bolts of like how we would basically look at these different products and experiment with the different use cases, we'd put a landing page together that had a different way our services or a product was packaged up, or maybe it was we wanted to see if focusing on long-term stays would be attractive or focusing on COVID safe hotels. There's lots of different different versions of our product that we explored over the past year. And basically what we do is we put a landing page up. We Natasha and I would mock up some Facebook and some Instagram ads and we do $500 spend on those ads and basically see how they converted on the page. That's very simple digital marketing, blocking and tackling. But what the insight that we would get from that is once we got to a point where we did many of those and once we got to a point where we were seeing a respectable conversion rate on a page, then we would launch it. So then we would start to put more spend behind it on Facebook. And then we like had a couple of those that we were testing out. And then the, the club, which is the, the latest iteration of, of the product that we have live in market right now, was basically born from that wandering path of lots of different products and escalating to various levels of launching and live and to finally having one that we pushed out to our entire community. We did a PR push around it. We did on social media. So we came out with that product and even that product that we've come out with has changed. So we're very iterative. But one thing that we do have to always be balancing that with is the impact on our brand. How much can we experiment? What can we get away with? before it starts to impact the brand negatively and before it starts to impact our customers' perception of their value that they're getting from the product. So that's something even today that we have conversations about because there's still so much to experiment with and learn. Just to back off that, I feel like it's been so interesting the last year and a half to be a founder because the needs of the consumer 
are changing every day, especially in the travel industry. Whereas if we were in a more stable time where COVID wasn't a constant part of people's psyche and people's experience of life and people's experience, especially of travel, I don't think we um, would have to be in such a test iterate every single day type of uh, mentality. I think that's so important. That was something that we had both taken and learned from products we had launched previously that didn't work, that we put a lot of uh, resources and time and energy into without validating before we put it into market and then realizing, oh, that's not what our customers want or need. So I think like testing and iterating is so important to any product launch for any entrepreneur. But I think especially in these times, we're in a place where even three months ago, our messaging could have been different. But right now, like people are thinking about the Delta variant and they're looking at Europe and they're wondering if they need a third booster. And those questions are so present for our customers every day. The way that we package it, the way that we talk about it, how we uh, interact with them does have to evolve as the circumstances around our customers evolve. I think the insight you just shared with us almost seems like an obvious one in some ways of, okay, we should definitely be iterative. We should do lean testing and make sure we're not putting the cart before the horse. Mm -hmm. But actually, when you look at what companies really did in reaction to COVID was considering the pivot and adding the use cases before they really knew what they were doing. Just as you outlined, a lot of companies came out with features that they ended up scrapping in the past year or just like communities and other types of tools that didn't really take off based on their just fundamental hypotheses. But in many of the situations, those additional features weren't additive to the core value that they were offering to customers. Right. What you're bringing up there is an insight that people should really consider as they're building their first companies, which is you want to make sure that you have the right product market fit. And one of the ways to get there is starting with something with one customer segment, as you outlined, that first customer, continuing to build off those needs and just iterating the path forward rather than relying on a combination of, of luck, timing, and everything else to right. get it right off the bat. That's so true. And I think that you do read the blogs, you listen to the podcasts, and you do hear over and over again to be iterative and to be nimble. And that's like the, the lean startup model. I heard it before my first startup, which it didn't work. I had heard all that advice. And I built something that didn't have product market fit. It doesn't take launching a product and investing a whole bunch of time and money into it and having it fail before you can really learn that lesson. And, and, and another part of that is being close to your customer. You do also hear over and over again that you need to fall in love with your customers and you need to always be doing user interviews and be really close to your customer journey and be talking to them. And that as a to-do list on your list every day can suck. That can be like something that doesn't feel like it's really moving the needle. and both Natasha and I have looked at that work that we need to do on days and been like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to have that conversation with the customer. Like I have other stuff that I feel like is more important or that will that will move the needle in some bigger way. But time and time again, those conversations are always the most illuminating and so helpful to this iterative testing and validating process. Again, that's not a fresh insight and that's not new advice, but it's something that's really played out well for both Natasha and I in, in getting to the product that we have live now. And so just to summarize for the listeners, talking about being a lean startup is not just there for show. You really have to do it. And you can even use methods as nimble as our guests have mentioned around using something like a Facebook ad with, you know, a small budget behind it, just if you're directionally going down the right path. So right now, I want to go back to something that um, Natasha mentioned earlier, uh, which is that All Call is actually a marketplace. And so I think an age-old question, and we'd love to hear how you're approaching it, 
is with marketplace products, do you build the demand or the supply side first? It sounds like you've tackled the supply side first with reaching out to the folks who could curate those travel itineraries and those experiences. But what advice would you give to founders who are building marketplace products in thinking about this question? That's a a tough question. A lot of people have said, marketplace are really hard. You have two customers, you have two problems you're trying to solve. Um, And that's absolutely true. I think for us, we had pretty immediate fit on the guide side, but we didn't have immediate fit on the guide side being the supply, which we started with first because we needed to build out content on the site to be able to go get travelers and customers looking for itineraries. And then really we had the three months that we had in market before COVID hit with the pure marketplace product without the club added, we were really trying to find fit with travelers and with the demand side and trying to figure out how do we make sure that these itineraries are valuable to our customer, are providing them with something that's unique and insightful and feels current and different from the rest of the content that they can find online. And that was really the work that we were doing in those three months, finding that fit, finding that customer at the right moment. There were a lot of questions and problems that we were trying to solve. And then COVID hit and and that changed everything. And I think if you're looking to build a marketplace, I think that iterative process that we're talking about is so important to do on both sides and not just rely on, okay, great. The supply side is working. People are creating these itineraries. Inherently, that means that there's going to be people who wants to buy them. And that is not true. That's not true. So being able to go back to questions on the other side of the marketplace and being sure that there is a demand for those things and talking to the travelers and making sure that what they want out of a product like this is what they're going to receive from the guides who are creating it. And really what we found post-COVID was that there wasn't enough personalization to the itineraries that we had um, and that people really loved the recommendations. They had a lot of value inherently, but there was a layer of personalization that was needed alongside these great recommendations of destinations around the world that was missing. And that was really the key that unlocked the fit that we're seeing today with our members. And so that took time and that took talking to our customers every single day to get to that. And I would just say, if you're doing a marketplace, there's like this magic that happens when all the stars align, but almost doubling your work in the sense that you're trying to figure out your customer constantly um, on either end of it. So it sounds based on your audience and the space you're playing in, there isn't necessarily a golden rule for which side you build up first, but it is really being iterative throughout that process and making sure you're aligned both sides of the marketplace for that magical moment. Yeah, exactly. I think it's so dependent on the product that you're building, where you start. And I don't think that there's a way that we could have done it the other way, just because that what our product was inherently. So I think it's really dependent on, yeah, what you're building. And just as a follow up to that, another hard question about marketplaces, do you start by building for the masses or do you start with a very targeted niche interest and building a marketplace there? I would definitely say try to get as niche as you can with what you're building initially. You'd remove a lot of the questions because you have a clearer sense of what is valuable to that person because you're dealing in the smaller pool of their interests and the things that they care about as opposed to, yeah, a much larger book. For us, that was definitely a mistake that we made of saying, we're going to have every destination around the world. We're going to have an opportunity for every type of traveler. And if I were to start over again, I would have been like, I'm doing adventure bikers for going to the Dolomite. I would have done like the most limited and you're just able to get to the meat of what the problem is and what you can solve so much faster than like 
clearing through all the noise of it could be that and it could be this or this person is uniquely interested in this thing. I would definitely say get as targeted as you possibly can. I, I think that also relates to the brand and I think the good work that you initial work that you did around the <laughs> with Opal in the beginning. I think that I don't I wouldn't say that it was a niche brand by any stretch, but it definitely had a personality and a as a space in the world and it knew who it was talking to. I think that though Natasha may not have seen that she was building for a niche audience, and I don't think it was a niche audience, I do think that there was an insight in the, the creation and the execution and the way the brand was expressed, did have a point of view and was something for a certain type of person that made it really attractive. It certainly is. And just to recap some of the takeaways there, when you're building marketplace products, you want to make sure that you start in a focused way because you want to be able to provide value to the users. And at the same time, you want to build potentially for both sides at the same time, but you want to do it in an iterative manner where you're not entirely, say, trying to build the supply side first or the other side first. But again, it's all dependent on the industry and, and the customers in that space. Thanks for busting some of those myths for us. I think there's a lot of information out there that says you must do this first. And that's just not going to be the approach that works for everyone. We've learned a lot in our conversation today. What can people expect from All Call going forward? I think that they can expect a lot of great travel content. And we've been a wait list for a while. We have a few hundred members, a few thousand people on our wait list, which is really exciting. But we're moving closer and closer to uh, being able to transition everybody straight into membership who wants to join. Keep an eye out, join the wait list. That's definitely something to be excited about as we're learning to scale and, and really honing in on what we provide to our customers. I, I know I said earlier that Natasha and I are bad co-founders on paper because we have the, the same skills. And to that end, we are looking at Grant, the technical team. So if there's anyone that's listening that's interested in an early stage travel startup in a crazy post-COVID or mid-COVID time to, to get in touch, because we're looking at what um, more technology-enabled products looks like moving forward for travel. So that's something that we have on the horizon. Yeah, I feel like it has been such a crazy, weird year in this industry. But one thing that we have found that has been so exciting is like whenever there's just like a massive upheaval of what's going on. Basically, there was like a very nicely set table that was a dinosaur of an industry. And someone just someone being COVID came in and just flipped that table upside down, which is a really exciting time to be in an industry because you get to choose. OK, there's this huge moment for us to change the way that things have been for a long time that really haven't been working for consumers. And so we're in that moment. And so it's an exciting time to be building a product in that industry right now. I would definitely encourage people to join the waitlist to join the club. You can add an early access code of Sandy. There's a space to do that and we'll prioritize you in the waitlist. So hot take for, for the listeners out there. Follow us on Instagram, just all call. And thanks so much for listening.